All right, if you got a Bible, you can open it up to 2 Timothy chapter one. That's in the New Testament. Uh, and while you're turning there, I'm gonna kind of recap quickly for you because we kicked off a new series of messages last week. And if you were here, you might remember that. And if you do, I'm gonna remind you, but there's a lot of us maybe that you weren't here and you didn't hear that message and all those are online as always. But we kicked off a series called Leading a Legacy. Leading a Legacy. And the concept of it was, if you want to leave a legacy in the future, then you have to lead a legacy now. And what we're trying to connect for you is simply the biblical concept of sowing and reaping. If there's something you want to reap later on, then you got to begin to sow it now. And so we want us to think about this concept of legacy. It is one, as you read in the verses in Psalm 78, and that's what I preached through last week, that the Bible commands us to teach the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord. And, the, and probably one of the worst verses in the Bible, Psalm 78, 8, when it says, don't be like your fathers. And so we want to leave a legacy in such a way where no one has to lie for us in the future. No one has to lie about us. And I made reference to this last week, but Sadly, a lot of times, death makes saints out of people, and we've all attended those funerals where you get up and you're like, that person's lying. That, that dude, that girl was not like that. And so we, we, it's kind of a heresy, honestly, in America where death makes saints out of people and it somehow baptizes everything they did wrong because they're no longer with us. And I'm not being insensitive about the concept. What I'm just saying is that is just not true. What makes us a saint is Jesus. What makes us a saint is having our life transformed by the power of God, and then that becomes what we transfer to people. And that was one of the points I made last week is wasn't it, what doesn't get transformed in our life is going to get transferred. It's going to. It's not a question of if you're going to leave a legacy. It's only a question of what. You and I are leaving a legacy, but the sad thing, and I've been pastoring over two decades now, a lot of people just don't think about the concept of legacy in their life. What kind of legacy am I leaving? And then also people for real don't think about, well, if I want to leave a different legacy then, then I have to start leading a different legacy now. And what I told you last week, and we'll wrap it up today in the same kind of vein, is it really doesn't, I'm not saying it doesn't matter up until this point, but, but you may feel convicted about what needs to change in your life. And my goal today is not just to guilt you and make you feel convicted about it. My goal today is to grace you so that you'll actually change the story, actually change the narrative of your life and actually start to build a new legacy, and what I want you to see in 2 Timothy chapter 1 today is what does that concept of, of how we leave that type of legacy, and, and what we're going to look at is Paul and how he had a conversation with Timothy, which was one of his disciples, one of the leaders in the early church, and what Paul was saying to him and how that can teach us about this concept of legacy. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I'm actually going to start, sorry, chapter 2. So, oh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. Oh, goodness gracious, people. All right, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I've told you this before, but the verse designations in your Bible, they are not inspired. Someone put those in later, and sometimes it frustrates me where they put them, and this is another one because verse 12 is, is a part of a sentence that went before it. I'm like, why in the world did you put it there? So I'm not going to start there. I'm actually going to start when a new sentence starts in verse 12, where Paul starts by saying this. He says, but I am not ashamed 
For I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now let's stop and chat for a second. Paul, in this chapter so far, he's writing this again, personal letter, letter to Timothy, and it's one of the earlier letters that Paul wrote because um, he was dealing with issues as he planted churches, put people in charge. He wrote letters to them to help them figure out what was going on. And so this one was pretty early because Timothy was a leader in the church at Ephesus, and he is instructing him, and he's giving him practical wisdom. And these letters are what's called a part of the pastoral epistles. It's kind of one pastor to another pastor, and there's a lot of people that think that these are just for pastors. It's not. It's for everybody. And the concept of, that I want to get you to see is how Paul deals with what has been entrusted to him, and now he is having a conversation with Timothy about what's been entrusted to Timothy. And so in the first chapter so far, he's been talking about the story of Timothy's life, and he's been talking about the story of his life, to where Paul actually is writing this from jail. He's in chains. Now, most of us, if going to jail was a part of our story, that's not something that we would say probably we're not ashamed about. But it matters why you go to jail, right? It does. So Paul wasn't in jail for living a crazy life. Paul was actually in jail for living a faithful life. He got thrown in jail because he wasn't willing to change the truth of what he believed in. And it's not too far-fetched in our culture today to, to see this happening, right? Literally, people getting jailed, not just in America, but all over the world, for speaking the truth about who Jesus is. But Paul makes an incredible statement here. First, he says, I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Now, the concept of shame, I think we get. And what I mean by that is there are things in our life that we're ashamed of. Just a little straw poll, if you're watching online. Anybody here ever done something that you're ashamed of? Raise your hand. Go ahead and look around. All right. If your hand's not up, you're either six months old or you're lying. All right? <laughs> I say that often. And the reason why I point that out is because this is kind of like a therapy session. We're all together. Hi, my name's Jason. I'm a sinner. All right? If you can't admit that you're ashamed of something, then you got far bigger problems. So all of us get the concept of doing something that we are ashamed of. Now, there are things in Paul's life that he's for sure ashamed of. He talks about them. In fact, he calls himself later in another book, a chief of sinners. But since Paul's life has been transformed by Jesus and he has been walking with Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus, and even though it has landed him in jail at this current moment, he can say, I'm not ashamed. And I want to think about that concept for a minute when you think, wow, what would it be like to live a life where I could say, yeah, I'm not ashamed. Now, the concept of shame, there's kind of two parts to it. There is a concept of healthy shame. Healthy shame is, yes, the thought process of, yeah, I don't want to do something that would embarrass me, embarrass my family, embarrass the Lord. And so there's this concept of healthiness. We might call it conviction, whatever it is, where we think, yeah, I don't do certain things because there is a healthy view of shame. And so there is a thing called healthy shame. But there's also a thing called unhealthy shame. And unhealthy shame is, I can't get over what I did. I did something so wrong, I can't forgive myself for it. That's unhealthy shame. That's not what I'm talking about here in the sense that 
all of us have things we just said that we are ashamed of, but by the grace of God, we can have a new beginning where God covers that, that shame. So I'm, I'm never wanting to shame somebody in an unhealthy way, just making you feel guilty and worse. But there is a concept, like I said, of healthy shame. And so healthy shame is the thought process, like I just said, of, oh yeah, if I live my life in this way, I can be proud of what I did. And what I just wanna point out is, what a phenomenal statement that Paul says, he's living his life in such a way where he's not ashamed. And the goal of this series is to help you live your life in such a way where you're not ashamed either. That's the goal. And one of the ways that that's going to happen is when you can look back at your life and be like, yeah, I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that. I'm ashamed of that. And you allow the Lord to forgive that. You allow the Lord to give you grace in that area and say, but you know what? But I do want to write a different story than that. I don't want that to be my legacy. And this concept of shame is rooted in what Paul says there at the end of verse 12 when he says, God's able to guard that deposit that's been entrusted to me. Now, the word there, entrusted, is going to occur two more times in the verses we're going to see. So it occurs three times. And the reason why I'm highlighting it now is so that you understand this concept. But if he's repeating it three times, then obviously it's a pretty important principle. And the idea of entrusting something isn't the idea of I'm responsible for something. So Paul saw his life one of stewardship. One of, he had been given a gift, he had been given a deposit, elsewhere he calls it the, the deposit of the Holy Spirit within him, and this gift, this deposit that's been given to him has been entrusted to him, which means he's responsible for it. He will give an account for what he did with it. And this is something we talk about a lot here if you are a part of our church or if you've gone through Welcome Track. In fact, both of our locations today, part three of Welcome Track is happening. The first two parts are online. The third part is in person. And one of the concepts we deal with there, uh, in there is when you join our church, we don't call it membership. And if those of you have been around, you hear this all the time, but I say it often to remind you. When you join our church, you don't become a member of our church, even though that is kind of how churches have done it for a really long time. But the reason why we changed this, we changed this years ago, because membership brings to mind the idea of, I have certain rights. Because when I join somewhere and I become a member, I have rights. I have the right to complain about stuff. I have the right to demand certain stuff. And if you've been around church folk, members in churches do that a lot. And we try to get off at the jump and say, no, 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 no. When you join our church, you don't become a member of it where you have certain rights. You become what we call a steward of it. So we don't call it membership. We call it stewardship. Why? Here's our phrase. Members have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. See, when you join our church, we're saying you're not joining a cruise ship where you get to sit back and drink Mai Tais and we all serve you. You're joining a battleship where you have a station to man and a mission to accomplish. You are responsible now for the mission and the health of the church. And I'm just trying to show you the concept is biblical because if you and I don't live our lives as though we are responsible, then one day we'll be shocked when we're held to respond, give an account for what we did with the gift that God gave us. So I just love the concept that Paul is talking here to Timothy saying, listen, I've been entrusted with something. 
I've been entrusted with something and I want to live it in such a way where I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of how I have lived out my legacy of what has been deposited within me. So that's the concept of leaving and leading a legacy. We all are stewards. Everything that you have in your life is a gift. And God gave it to you because he wants, he entrusted it to you because he wants to, you to use it wisely. Which is why Paul says what he says next. Look at verse 13 and 14. He says, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, watch this, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. By the Holy Spirit, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, here's where you see even more so the concept of legacy. Let's break these down because if you've been around here, you know I love words. And these words, man, there's some depth behind these words. So Paul's been entrusted with something. He's telling Timothy, you've been entrusted with something. But here's what I want you to see. Good stewardship of what's been entrusted to him, Paul tells to Timothy, is the pattern of my life. If you follow the pattern of my life, then you will have been a good steward of what's been entrusted to you. So let me ask this a question. Could you say that to other people? Follow the pattern of my life and that will lead to good stewardship? Let's dig into what those words mean. It's very, very fascinating to me. First, he says, follow the pattern. This word here, pattern, literally is the Greek word. I'm gonna read it to you. Hypotyposis. And I know that means a lot to you. But when I heard that word, it sounded very much like an English word that I do know. Hypnosis. Hypnosis, literally, just with the exception of a few letters, almost the exact same wording, which means they have very similar root meanings. And so a lot of our English words, I've told you this, have just been transliterated, which means they've just been brought over from another language into our language, and we spelt it in English the way it's spelt in Greek. So hypnosis, you didn't know that you just knew Greek. What is the concept of hypnosis? Now, I'm not here to say one way or another about what I believe about hypnosis, all right? But, but you understand the concept. And I looked up the definition literally. The, to hypnotize somebody is to artificially put them in a trance of some kind where now they become easily manipulated. They become easily manipulated because of the artificial activity of someone else outside of them. Now, here's what's fascinating to me. I'm told how that's done, how hypnotists hypnotize people is they pattern them. They create a pattern and then disrupt that pattern or literally they put their brain kind of into this lock of hypnotized to where when they awake, they can say bark like a dog and they'll bark like a dog. Quack like a duck. If you've seen you know, any funny videos of that, they'll say football and they'll take off running and tackle somebody. And here's what was fascinating to me. Paul says, follow the pattern. And then I started thinking, pattern very similar to the word hypnosis. And then something really kind of jumped out at me as I was studying this. I thought, oh, that's what makes patterns so powerful in, their, in our lives. 
they hypnotize us. They hypnotize us. Think about the concept of hypnosis. Puts you in a trance and makes you easily manipulated. I want you to think for a second. Have there been patterns in your life that you have learned from your family of origin, from the culture around you that produce sinful habits that you hate? Again, if you're human, of course there has. But what I'm trying to get you to see is the power is in the pattern. Paul talks about this in Romans 7. Why do I do the things I don't wanna do? You wanna know why? Because there's a pattern that you learned as a child and when a stimulus comes up, your brain says this is how we do things because this is how you were patterned when you were a child and it just kind of hypnotizes you to where you act and you were very easily manipulated until after the stimulus is over and you're like, whoa, what just happened? You ever felt like that? You ever felt like you've been in a situation and you act in a certain way and then all of a sudden you look back and you're like, whoa, it's like I was sleepwalking there. I had this happen just the other day. I told you before about road rage and, and I don't, again, it's control issues. I got to talk to my counselor about this again because uh, for those of you who know, my wife just had surgery this week and uh, she's been recovering and so I had to take her to her physical therapy appointment. So I'm driving real slow in the car and behind me, this guy starts honking and I'm trying to turn left. I'm driving slow and I'm like, I get it. I, 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 I'm sure you got somewhere to be. But he starts like going, trying to do this, you know, like NASCARing around me, you know, rubbing his racing, baby. And, um, and so he lays on his horn. And before I know it, I'm rolling down the window, throwing up my hands. I, I flipped off my hat. I didn't flip him off. I flipped off my hat and I'm yelling at him. And Lindsay was like, Jason, what is wrong? And I was like, oh, where was I? <laughs> you ever had that happen? And I'm a calm person. Except you put me in a car <laughs> and you start honking at me. Oh. And it was wet and then he hit the gas and then he starts sliding like this. I'm like, that's right, so. <laughs> and I'm not joking with you. I had to pull into CVS and I was praying that he would pull in too. so we could have a conversation, for real. And then I had to go inside, get out of the vehicle, and then I walked back in, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry, I know that was ridiculous. <laughs> but why is that? Because I have a pattern, and the pattern has a hypnotic effect on me. And here's what I'm trying to show you. The Bible is so smart. Here's literally what Paul is saying to Timothy. Follow my hypnosis. Follow my way of life. Now let me go to the next words here. He says of sound words. Follow the pattern of the sound words. And, and by the way, if you were that guy in front of me and you recognize me, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We can talk after church. I've calmed down, all right? <laughs> Follow the pattern of the sound words. That word there, sound, I kid you not, means correct or healthy. Healthy. 
See, a lot of us have been hypnotized by unhealth. And what Paul is saying is let my healthiness hypnotize you, Timothy. This is what's really crazy. And I've had to learn this in my own life. But sometimes healthy patterns are weird to people. Are weird. I'll never forget when I became the pastor. I told you this last week. I accepted the job at Revolution Church 12 years ago. And I was sitting down with the pastor who started our church, Brian Beloy at Westridge, who's my pastor. And I'll never forget, we were having a conversation at, on the border because Chewy's wasn't open yet. So that was all we had. Because uh, it's Tex-Mex, baby, right? That's what makes Texas great. Uh, we have our own classification of foods and our own toast. It's awesome. And so... And our own fajitas. And so we're sitting there having a conversation and, and he looked at me and said, Jason, you need to know something. The church has been through a lot of craziness and unhealth. And as you start to make the church healthier, there's going to be people in the church that think that's weird and will start attacking you. And I thought, what? No, Shirley. And he was like, don't call me Shirley. But I said, Shirley... <laughs> Surely they will see the unhealthy and will want healthy. He's like, no, they won't because it's weird to them because unhealth is what's normal to them. Let me go in another example. If you're married, when you got married, remember those first fights that you had about how you handle anger and how they handle anger? and how you handle conflict and how they handle conflict. I'll never forget early in my marriage, it was like, well, in my family growing up, if somebody blew up, we didn't talk about it. We just went to bed, woke up the next morning, act like it never happened. So when I'm now married, we have a conflict. I'm like, let's just go to bed, quit talking about this. This is painful. Let's wake up tomorrow and act like it never happened. And my wife says, no, 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 that's not how we handle conflict. Because see, in her family, you talked about it. But when they talked about it, they would even start, they would get, you know, animated and they would, they would work it out. And so I, when I saw them start working things out, I was like, somebody's about to die. Because <laughs> if you talk like this in my house, my dad, oh, that ain't how it works. And so I'll never forget, like early in our, I started getting so anxious and nervous. And I'm like, ah, I don't know what to do with this. Because her pattern was not my pattern. And what we had to realize is there's strengths and weaknesses to both. This is where we started going to a lot of counseling. We're like, oh, we need to develop new, watch this, health hypnosis, not unhealth. Here's what's amazing to me. Paul could say to Timothy, follow my pattern because it's healthy. My patterns are healthy and they will help you guard what's been entrusted to you. So if you're taking notes, you might want to write this point down. We got to hurry. Make sure your pattern is worth repeating. Make sure your pattern is worth repeating because whether you like it or not, your pattern will be repeated. 
But is it a pattern of health or a pattern of unhealth? Because see, your pattern will be repeated and that pattern that gets repeated will create patterns for the next generation. As I was thinking about this this week, I came across another quote that I wanted to share with you that just, oh God, this is the truth of it is so good. I have it here on the screen by Frederick Douglass. He said this, it's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. It's easier to build strong children than repair broken men. Now, if you don't know anything about Frederick Douglass, he was a slave who after he was freed, became an abolitionist and worked to free other people. But one of the amazing things about him is not only did he want slaves to be free and have a different pattern in their lives, but he also understood that even people that were enslaving people learned those patterns and he was trying to break those patterns. Because what person in their right mind would enslave another human? But it's the patterns so often that they learn. That's just what was normal. And we look at that and we're like, well, that's evil. See, that's why we got to make sure we have patterns that are worth repeating. Paul goes on, look at this. He says, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Now, a lot of times we read verses in the Bible with people's names and, and we just kind of treat them like throwaways. Because we don't know who they were and you know, if you read a genealogy in the Bible, like Matthew chapter one, you're like, oh, this person, that person, this person, that person, that person, this person, this person, that person. Let me get on into the meat. Well, maybe the meat is the fact that the measure of that person was written down. And we should pause and think about, well, what is the Bible saying about those people? And then use that as a thought exercise to say, well, if the Bible wrote my name down, what would it say? And I just want to point this out because he names two guys here, Phygelus and Hermogenes, that turned away from him. And the concept of turned away is they stopped believing, weren't following Jesus. Why? Because they became ashamed, watch this, of the Bible. Not in, the, in its current form, because obviously they didn't have it there, but they became ashamed of the way of God. They became ashamed of Jesus. They became ashamed of the truth claims. And there's a lot of people today that are turning away because they become ashamed by what the Bible says, and they build their life off of a culture that you have no idea where it leads yet. And here's what's crazy. These two cats, and we don't know, and, and, and I, I, honestly, at this point in time, I'm not sure if they're mentioned again in the Bible. I, I, I'm going to study that and research that later. But what we do know at this point in time, that their legacy is not a good one. Their names are mentioned. I don't know if they are in heaven or in hell right now, but they are in one of two places. 
But think about this. Paul says, you know that all who turned away and among them were these two guys. And I'm sitting here looking at this and thinking, dang, I don't want that to be my legacy. That I had a legacy of turning away. And then he mentions another guy, Onesiphorus. Then he says this, he often refreshed me and he was not ashamed of my chains. What legacy do you want to be written about you? Don't miss this. I don't want the legacy of my life or your life to be one where people, yeah, she turned away. Where's that person? Are they part of our church anymore? No, he turned away. And that's one of the saddest things that we have to deal with in leadership. Man, where are those people? Man, they turned away. And it's really sad because I'll see people in stores that used to go to our church and now don't, and they'll see me in the aisle and they'll be like, oh, there he is. <laughs> I see it. And it breaks my heart. If you live a life in such a way where you're ashamed to even see your pastor because you turned away. Now what he says about Onesiphorus, I just love. He says, he refreshed me. That word there, refresh, means to give life to. To give life to. And what's even more phenomenal is he said, when we were in Rome, he searched for me. See, Timothy is in Ephesus and Paul was in Ephesus and that's where this guy was because he says, you're well aware of what he did in Ephesus. It's one city. But then Paul traveled to Rome where he wrote the, you know, about the letter to the Romans. And this cat, Onesiphorus, not only refreshed Paul when he was in Ephesus, but went to Rome and searched for him to continue to support him and refresh him. What a legacy. And we look at so many times in the Bible about Paul and Timothy, and I'm not saying that's wrong to do, but what about the Onesiphorus's? Because without those cats, you don't get a Paul. And I love that Paul highlights him and says, you know this guy and what he did. He searched for me and he refreshed me. And what's amazing to me, his name, listen to this, his name literally means bringing advantage. That's what his name means. So he lived into the legacy of his name. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a legacy of bringing advantage to those around you? Of refreshing those around you? Are you the type of person that searches out people to refresh? Are you the type of person that gives life? Or are you a leech? You're the type of person that sucks life out of everybody else. You know, you light up the room when you leave it. Not light it up when you enter it. Are you the type of person that if the Bible would write down your name, and this is the concept I want us to think about, where you are leaving a legacy that's worth repeating. 
Now into chapter two, verse one and two, Paul says to Timothy, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And here, watch this. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, here's that word again, entrust to faithful men who are able to teach others also. Now notice he first says, you then, my child. See, here's what we know about Timothy. In fact, earlier in chapter one, Paul says it. He says, fan into flame the gift that was given to you that first started in your grandmother, then went to your mother, and then went to you. Three generations, grandma, mom, son. Noticeably absent is the father. Now we know from other texts that Timothy's father wasn't, at least at the time of the writing, a believer. So watch this. Timothy learned a pattern from his earthly father that wasn't worth repeating. But in the graciousness of God, God gave Timothy another father. And his name was Paul. And Paul treated Timothy like a kid because as far as we know, Paul didn't have biological children. But he had all kinds of spiritual kids. And he referred to them as his children. And now he's telling his child in the Lord, follow my pattern. Follow my pattern of health. I know you didn't learn it from your father, but God was gracious enough to you that he gave you a new father to follow a new pattern with. And here's why I'm pointing this out. There's a lot of us in this room watching online in Jasper that we didn't learn healthy, healthy patterns. We weren't hypnotized by health. We were hypnotized by unhealth. And, and this is gonna take counseling. We have a whole list of counselors here and I know we'll probably bankroll them this next year just from this series alone. But that's okay, I want you to go. I talked to one of my counselors this last week. Because you and I have to start, in some ways, grieve. Grieve the health that wasn't displayed for you. Then forgive. Then ask God to give you new fathers in the faith. And if that means myself or our pastors or our small group leaders or our team leaders stepping in and becoming that role, then we're honored to do it. But here's why this is so important. The excuse of my dad never taught me is one of blaming and punting your responsibility. I'm not saying you're responsible for what happened to you, but we are responsible of what happens through us. We are. You are a steward 
You've been entrusted with something. And if you have children, that's your legacy. And if you, even if you do have children, but if you don't have children, your legacy is still spiritual children that you have the opportunity to hypnotize them into health, to show them patterns that are worth repeating. And here's what floors me with this thought. Don't miss this. There's four generations in this text. Paul, Timothy, I'm gonna teach it to faithful men who are able to teach others. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, teaching others. Let me ask you a question. Is your pattern worth repeating for four generations? Is your pattern worth repeating for four generations? That's deep, isn't it? This is when you're like, Pastor, I was just looking to get some, some Chipotle after we were done today. Oh. It's deep. I know it's deep. But if you don't ask this question, the only thing worse is producing a pattern that's not worth repeating. So let me ask you this question. In fact, I've got it on the screen. What is your legacy in the areas of faith, family, and finances? There's so many more. There's so many more, but just these three, because I, th I think these are the big three. What is your legacy in the area of faith, family, and finances? Let's deal with these individually. Faith. If your children, if people around you just simply repeated your pattern in faith, would it produce faithfulness in them? Is your, the pattern of your life so in tuned with the word of God that you would say, not arrogantly, but this is a pattern worth repeating? Because here's what you need to know. The key to a legacy is the power of your patterns. That's the key. So what's your pattern in reading the Bible? What's your pattern in praying? What's your pattern in gathering with the church? So many people are what we call CEO Christians, Christmas, Easter only. We say that often, and I'm not making fun of those people. I'm, I'm just saying I'm glad they're here twice a year, but if we simply up that, what effect would that have? Are you the type of person that says, we gather with the people of God, and you're here, so at least to some degree you believe this, and, and we gather with the people of God to hear the word of God, to worship together with the people of God, and we serve the house of God. That's our pattern. Are you the type of person that says, well, we do that unless there's baseball? Uh-oh. We do that unless there's lacrosse or some other event because you know my baby's getting a scholarship. A scholarship in what? Now, I've told my kid's a senior. 
I hope he gets all the scholarships on planet Earth that are available to him. But the best legacy I could leave in him is to say, son, our life revolves around Jesus. Our life revolves around the faith of God and the church of God. There's been so many times where my kid, that's fine. Are we clapping or are we not? I don't know what we're doing here. Okay. And my son is here today serving. Both of my kids are here right now serving and they will attend the next gathering because yeah, you're the pastor. They make, you make them. I don't make them because I'm the pastor. I make them because I'm a believer. What's your legacy of faith? Second one, what's your legacy of family? How do you do anger, sadness, joy, fun in your family? See, this is a great time to look at my, man, man, the pattern that was, that was, I was hypnotizing is unhealthy. And this is a great exercise. You can go to your spouse or to your children or to your extended family, whoever, and say, you know what? I'm sorry for my legacy in this area by the grace of God, by the spirit, as Paul told Timothy, we're going to create a new pattern. It starts at forgiveness and then can begin into faithfulness. What's your pattern in your family? This is how my family, this is how we do these things. See, God places kids into families so that families can pattern them into health. Because kids naturally don't learn health. They naturally learn. Isn't this crazy? Before kids are even talking, they're patterning you by manipulating you. They're brilliant. And how we react to that will pattern them and condition them in their life. Crazy. Thirdly, what is your legacy in finances? Finances. Now hear me. Anytime the church talks about money, people get funny. Not ha-ha funny. But I want you to listen to me, church. Unequivocally, unashamedly, I want you to be a generous person. Unashamedly. Study after study after study says it'll actually make you happier. As Jesus says, it's better to give than to receive. I want you to be a generous person, unashamedly. And you say, well, that includes generosity to Revolution Church. Dang right it does. Unashamedly, because I believe in the mission of the church. Unashamedly. We say that often. I want you to tithe. Not just because it funds the mission of the church, because it'll bless you. And I want you to give above the tithe. People are like, y'all want 10%. No, we're not that cheap. We want way more. Here, listen to me. I want you to be so generous that when you sit down with your tax person next year, they were like, oh, you might get audited because they don't believe you. You want to know why, though? Study after study after study shows the greatest predictor of someone's generosity when they're adults is if they were exposed to it when they were kids. It's the greatest predictor. The reason why we want you to be generous is because we want you to raise a generation of generous people. Would the world be better if we had more givers than takers? Yeah, it would. And that ain't the government's job. 
That ain't the school's job. Hear me, it ain't even my job. That's your job. Are you the type of person, when you have the opportunity to be generous, you step up and you're generous? Are you the type of person when they say one check or two checks? Two, 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 two. It's split. Are, are you the type of person that waits to see what the other person's gonna say? Because maybe they'll take it. Yeah. Are you the type of person that says, no, I got this? See, it's not just in the area of generosity either. It's in the, it's in the area of wisdom. Now I'm going to get super personal here. Is your financial legacy one of we live paycheck to what? Paycheck? That's super unhealthy. You say, well, I got too many bills. Well, who said you needed 500 channels? You can sell that car and buy a beater. I've done it. One of the best days of my life. I got a raise one year. You know what I did with it? It was so dumb. I've said this before. I went out and bought a Tahoe because I could afford it. My whole raise was taken up in a payment. I did that for a year. I'm like, this is ridiculous. So I sold that joker. And for 1500 bucks, I bought a 1996 four-door Chevy Cavalier. Didn't even have power windows. And I love that sucker because it was paid for, baby. I was riding around with my woman and my kid in a car seat like the coolest dude on planet Earth because I'm not broke as a joke. See, I don't want my kids to have the financial legacy that this is what we do. See, when my son got a job, I told him, I said, Jackson, here's what we're gonna do. You're not gonna do what I did, because when I got a job when I was a kid, I spent every paycheck on my sound system, on shoes, on all kinds of junk. When I graduated high school, I had zero dollars in the bank. So what I told Jackson, Jackson, when you graduate high school, now this may sound crazy to you, I want you to have $10,000 in the bank. He looked at me like I was crazy. I said, you can do that, just save. Tithe first, save. My son graduates in May. He's got $9,000 in his savings account. Yeah. Now, some of y'all are like, bro, I ain't got $900. Well, maybe you need to read wisdom. There was a guy who wrote a book. He's not even a Christian called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He talks about his two fathers. His biological father was the poor dad. His best friend's dad was the rich dad. He learned differently. See, your kids are gonna repeat what you do. And you say, well, I just learned it from my dad, from my mom. Let me get even more super personal. This month, eight years ago, my mom passed away. Those of you who are here you remember that? It was just suddenly, I got a phone call, literally, from my father. She just fell on the floor. And he called me before the ambulance got there, just screaming, Dad, Jason, Jason, Jason. That was the worst phone call I ever received. It was December 9th, 2013. We had a funeral on December 14th, which is two days from now. 
Now, my mom, huge legacy of faith. Huge legacy. We have her Bible. One of our greatest possessions as a family. Her notes in it. She grew up in a very dysfunctional family, but she worked hard to make sure our family was functional. My mom was very generous in the area of finances. Very generous. But my mom, a lot of times, wasn't the best at managing money. And I would be on her all the time saying, Mom, you got to pay off those credit card debts. Mom, you got to pay off those credit card debts. It's crazy. And here's what's crazy. A lot of her purchases were for other people. We got presents for over six months after she died. She's just that kind of person. But when my mom died, and I talked to my father to make sure it was okay to share this, she died with $30,000 in credit card debt. $30,000. And I think back on that now, and I think if my mom were alive today, she'd be mortified by that. She was working to pay it off. And what I'm saying to you is, there's no guarantee you're going to live past today. What's your legacy? The Bible says a godly man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. I don't want my legacy and your legacy in any of these areas to be one that actually cost my children, but it blesses them. So what if in 2022 you said, you know what? You may have a lot of credit card debt. The average American has, spends 13% of their income on credit cards. In 2022, you can make a new legacy. Let me leave you with this quote. The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. The best time was 20 years ago. Because you know about trees, they take a long time to grow. That was the best time. Because if you had planted it 20 years ago, you'd be eaten off the fruit of it now. But here's the good news. By the grace of God, the second best time is today. Because 20 years from now, you can be blessed by the things that you planted today. You can plant new patterns. You can plant new patterns that produce healthy people. What's your legacy? Is it worth repeating? Because it will be repeated. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. It is hard hitting at times, but it's necessary because we're not playing games. The reality of the circumstance is all of us have a story of people that have gone before us and how they've affected us. And sadly, God, there's so many of us that have learned patterns that have been hypnotized by patterns that were not healthy. And we gotta deal with that. We gotta recognize that we were patterned as children and now we are simply living into those patterns. But by the grace of God, through the Holy Spirit, God, we can be born again into a new family that patterns itself off of health. And God, I pray right now, if there's anybody here that's not a part of that family, hasn't trusted Jesus, that you'd save them.
Nobody looking around or talking here as we close. If you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never had that moment where you've come face to face with the concept that you are a sinner, and maybe you are overwhelmed with shame, I want you to hear me say that the grace of God can overcome that and wipe away your past and give you new life and therefore a new future because of the sacrifice of Christ. Paul said it's the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So if you wanna trust Jesus right there where you are, you can pray with me, you don't have to do it out loud, but it goes like this, say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent your son Jesus in my place for my sin. I ask you to save me, forgive me, give me new life in Jesus. I give you my life. I'm gonna follow you. Now, if you just pray that with me and you're in one of our locations, would you just simply lift up your hand so we can see that? Thank you. We got men and women gonna walk around and give you a gift and when they do, you can put it down. And whether you're in person or online in just a moment, you can fill out our digital connection card, let us know who you were or are so we can follow up with you. But whether you just prayed that or whether you've been a believer for a long time, I'm praying that this message has a profound effect on you to where, like we talked about last week, you stop and you look at the overview of your life. And, and you can start by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will give you the ability to do this, to look at the patterns that have produced who you are. And if they're unhealth, that you would start to work through those and maybe forgive those that produce those in you. But then by the grace of God, you say, God, give me new patterns faith in my family and in finances. I want by this time next year to have a new legacy. Father, thank you for the power of the preaching of your word. And as this has had an effect on me, I pray it would have an effect on all of us, God, where we can look at the legacy of our lives and say, God, give us a pattern worth repeating. The one that goes on for generations to come where the legacy of our life is one of faith and love in Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.